Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mixed martial arts is the definition of the hurt business. Everybody is coming in with nicks and cuts, contusions and soreness, aches and pains. But some fighters take it way too far. So far, in fact, that they definitely shouldn't have been allowed in the cage. And today we're going to talk about 10 times that somebody absolutely should have stopped them. Whether it was the commission, the UFC, their coaches, or the little voice in their head that says, what in the world am I doing right now? I'm Tommy from MMA On Point. A Massive shout out to our channel Hall of Famers, and these are 10 fighters that should not have been allowed to fight. We're kicking things off with that one time Forrest Griffin fought Anderson Silva. And no, I'm not trying to make a joke about his performance here, but it is possible that his performance was affected. We all recall what happened. The spider put on a god tier performance. We'd never seen anything like it before. We've not seen anything like it since. The definition of god mode. Well, a little talked about footnote to that fight is that afterwards, Forrest Griffin tested positive for Alprazolam, more popularly known by the brand name Xanax. Now, this information would not be revealed until months after the fight, as the bout took place in Pennsylvania, and apparently they had some sort of law about not releasing that information there, not to mention the suspension for it was only 30 days, which didn't even really matter. Now, we do not know much more about the failed test than that, other than that Forrest has said in subsequent interviews that he was not high during the fight, and in fact took the doctor-prescribed drug the night before the fight to help him sleep because he was feeling anxious. No or, or Xanax or whatever it was. Because not only will you fail your drug test, but you won't be super sharp in there either. And while that is perfectly reasonable, there is a reason that Xanax is a banned substance in mixed martial arts, and that is because it can have adverse effects on your performance. Not only that, but depending on the dosage and the user, even having taken it the night before, it could still have affected him in the cage, so he really shouldn't have been out there with it. Well, they wanted a big slow guy to follow Anderson around and make him look real good. <laughs> Next up, we have another fighter on a controlled substance, this time when Chris Lieben took on Mark Munoz. But after the fact, Chris said the best thing that ever could have happened to him was failing for opioids after the fight. Lieben's struggles with drugs and alcohol have been well documented. I decided I was never going to get sober. I almost romanticized the drugs and the alcohol and the, you know, the, the rock star lifestyle. I planned on dying early. And at the time of the Munoz bout in 2011, the crippler was in a bad, bad place with it. Now, normally he would taper off before the fight so as not to be detected in any tests afterwards, but on this occasion, he told the MMA Hour in an interview that's unfortunately impossible to find now, I had some issues in my camp and it was almost a cry for help. I knew I was going to get caught and I just didn't care at the time. Post-fight, Lieben tested 
tested positive for oxycodone and oxymorphone, and was subsequently suspended for a year, which he said was a catalyst for him getting sober. Now, it goes without saying that being on opioids in the cage is extremely dangerous, and is definitely a situation where he should not have been fighting, but for the sake of his life afterwards, it turned out to be a positive thing that he did. Next up, we got Luke Rockhold taking on Chris Weidman, our first victory of the day, which I'm sure some would argue that means he should have been in the cage, but this is more so about health and safety, and just because there was a positive outcome in the fight doesn't mean it was the best decision to let him go out there, especially considering this was his opportunity to earn the middleweight title, which he would in an amazing fight, despite the fact that two weeks prior, he was dealing with a staph infection and cellulitis in his foot. I kick with my left foot. Everyone knows that. Something he was still on antibiotics for during the fight. Obviously, if you've ever been on antibiotics, you know how they can often make you extremely sluggish, especially one strong enough to deal with a serious staph infection. And post-fight, Luke looked like he was about to fall asleep. Ironically enough, Weidman came in with a broken foot himself, so really this whole thing should have been canceled all around. But at the very least, Rockhold disclosed that he had a staph infection and had sought treatment for it so as to not transfer it to other people. Obviously. Obviously, they know my situation. I came in with an infection and I was on antibiotics. I still look disaster. The same cannot be said for the next three entries. Let's start this group of staff infectors off with Ilir Latifi versus Alexi Olenek. In late 2022, Latifi was on the final fight of his contract, and he hadn't been in the cage for over a year. This was a huge fight for him, and he would knock it right out of the park, 30-27s across the board. Afterwards, Paul Felder interviewed him in the good old Apex Octagon, where he could not help but brag about the condition he was in before the fight. I didn't even tell my coaches but I got a staph infection. Yeah, probably not the best idea to reveal that you have a highly infectious illness right now and that you specifically didn't tell anybody about it so you could fight. Afterwards, Nevada was like, hey man, cool win, you're now suspended for three months, which really is a slap on the wrist. And while of course it was dangerous and irresponsible, at least I can understand that he desperately needed that payday after more than a year out of the cage. Another reason you might hide a staff infection is a title fight, like our next entry, Kevin Lee versus Tony Ferguson. The Sunday before Kevin Lee was meant to fight for the interim lightweight title, he noticed a weird protrusion on his chest something that was immediately identified as staff. Instead of calling the fight off and losing his opportunity, as well as worrying that he was going to let everybody down if the fight got canceled, Lee chose to forego antibiotics and just forge ahead into fight well, how, week. How much did that staff fuck with you? I, I think it, it put me into a state of, of fight or flight for days before, you know, not even just the day of the fight. The decision would lead to one of the worst sounding weight cuts I've ever heard about. When the UFC offered Kevin their doctors to help him through his weight cut, he declined not because he didn't want it, but because he didn't want them to see the staph infection. He even had makeup put on it during weigh-ins. I mean, that is next level deception. Uh, right now, I'm probably like 74 or something like that, so uh, I have a, you know, decent little cut. Of course, being infected and having this horrific weight cut, super duper dangerous and probably very detrimental to his performance, he would get choked out in the third round. It's, 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 it's better if the arm is across. Yes. Oh, that's it! That's it. 
And while I don't know if the outcome would have been different had he fought healthy, I would love to know what that fight looks like if he doesn't have that infection. And of course, it was incredibly irresponsible, and everyone that knew should have told him not to be in there. But hey, Latifi hadn't fought in over a year, Lee was going for a title, none of those things can be said about the final entry in our staff trio, Victoria Dudakova versus Jen Yu Fry. Now, this one is hot off the presses. The Dudakova fight went down at UFC 294, and she wasn't the only fighter on the card to fight with staff, so maybe 294 overall is just the entry here. But we'll get to what makes her so much higher on this list in a second. The undefeated Dudakova, who had fought three months prior, missed weight before her bout, which was probably the first sign that something was wrong, but did manage to get the UD victory over Fry, relying heavily on her striking. Afterwards, at the post-fight presser, she decided to reveal why she wasn't so heavy on the wrestling this time. The past month, I had staph infection. My backside, my, my butt is completely bloodied up right now. Okay, first of all, that's disgusting. Secondly, not only did you fight with a staph infection, you purposely didn't take antibiotics, you passed out during your weight cut, your staff exploded mid-fight, and you hid all of this from everyone, putting Fry in danger and the referee and anybody who came in contact with you, not to mention you could have died during that weight cut. Look, fighters are the toughest people in the entire world. It really is amazing the adversity they can push themselves through, but this is just grossly irresponsible. And the doctors are right, there is no way she should have been fighting on that prelim. Alright, but enough gross stuff, the gross stuff is over. Let's talk about Conor McGregor versus Chad Mendez. What makes his decision to fight here all the more insane is that the UFC knew about it, his team knew about it, his opponent got changed at the last minute to someone very grapple-heavy, and still, despite all of this, despite his reputation being on the line, Conor McGregor chose to fight with a torn ACL. And I'm just, I'm just like this. And he just scissors me and I just, ah, he's like, and I'm like, what the, what the fuck, what, what the fuck are you about to do? Now, this did happen 14 weeks before the fight, but tearing 80% of your ACL and doing nothing about it, it might as well have happened the week before the fight. In late June, it came out that featherweight champion Jose Aldo had a rib injury and very smartly called the fight off. He broke his fucking rib. Oh my God. So what happens now? But as well documented in the Netflix feature about McGregor at the time, Connor said, fuck it, let's fight anyway. The other fight, that's September. Whether I'm gonna take another one is the, is the question. <laughs> I didn't know that, that was an option, actually. Which I did. I knew that you would say that. Now, this would turn out to be a positive outcome, of course. It's one of the biggest wins in Connor's entire career. Did not come here to take part. He came here to take over. But such an injury gamble would not pay off when he decided to go forward with his fight against Dustin Poirier, knowingly having stress fractures in his leg. The leg that he would horrifically break in the middle of the fight. But hey, ligaments are different than bones, I suppose, and we have seen fighters compete and win with knee injuries. None perhaps more insane than our next entry, Francis Ngannou versus Cyril Gaon. Man, in hindsight, knowing he would be fighting Fury, knowing that he would basically beat Fury in a boxing match, the stakes of this Gaon bout are even even higher. Because if he loses to Gon, there is no Tyson Fury bout. Nganu was fighting out his UFC contract, which was already a gamble in and of itself, but after the fight, after a grappling heavy victory that nobody saw coming, Nganu would reveal that he was terribly compromised going into the fight. Because I wasn't very comfortable on my uh, stand, I wasn't very stable, so I was very concerned. While stuffing a takedown in camp four weeks before the bout, Nganu would suffer ACL damage and a great 
grade 3 MCL tear. Grade 3 is the worst grade. It basically means that your MCL is gone, it's off. It's the kind of injury that requires surgery to repair, something Nganu had to get after his bout. So absolutely 100% not something you should be fighting with, especially when your entire life is on the line. Nganu did anything and everything he could before the fight to stabilize the knee. He wore braces during the bout. He got stem cell work done in the weeks prior. And somehow not only did he win, it was arguably the most impressive performance he's ever had. That said though, 100%, he should not have been allowed to fight. And our next entry shows just how catastrophic that decision can be to fight when you are completely incapacitated. I am talking about TJ Dillashaw versus Aljamain Sterling, the final fight of Dillashaw's career, and one that should have never happened. Now, TJ has had shoulder issues for years. Prior to that title challenge against Aljo, he had had two surgeries in his life on that shoulder. The most recent had during his two-year suspension for EPO. And so while the shoulder has always been a problem for him, he'd always worked around it. And I mean, you can't really argue with his success at that. He was bantamweight champion. But this time, things were different. Almost any and all actions in training were causing the shoulder to seize up. Probably dislocated a good 20 times throughout training camp. By far the toughest training camp I've been through because of that. And while many felt that TJ knew at the time that this would be his last fight, his last big payday, so he went in completely compromised knowing he would fail, that is not the way Dillashaw saw it at all. He's not like a dangerous fighter. He's not someone you have to go out there and be worried about getting finished or put to sleep. The injury would worsen about five weeks before the fight, with the shoulder now consistently popping out with the lightest of breezes. But the hubris of Dillashaw was too much, and he would take on Aljo in the most disastrous of fights, with the shoulder completely failing him at the very first takedown attempt. He's gonna tap here. It looked like he was trying to get his hand ready. Maybe there's an injury. Yeah, he's hurt. While I can understand his motivations, he definitely had no business in that fight on that night. One fight is one thing, a big chunk of your career is another. Another, which is why at number one, we have to place Michael Bisbean after Vitor Belfort, which I know includes 11 full fights, includes him winning the middleweight title, but truly he had no business in the cage. Now, Vitor Belfort would famously head kick KO Bisbean, which would result in a detached retina in his right eye. There it is again, that left high kick. Unfortunately though, this injury would not go noticed until much later. It's amazing. Um, how he bluffed the doctors, he bluffed the UFC, he got through the commissions. And the longer a retina is detached, the more potential damage it can do to your eyesight. By the time it was discovered, Bisping had 2200 vision, which means he was legally blind in his right eye. 2200 vision means you can only see the top letter on the eye chart. That is how blind Bisping was in his right eye, and its condition would deteriorate more as his career went on. Despite all of this and doctors urging him to retire, Bisping carried on and of course had a legendary run, but it is hard to argue that letting a guy fight with one eye is in any way a good idea at all, even if it did turn out fantastically for Michael Bisping. A powerful thank you for the powerful edit by George Hutchinson. Please welcome him back by following him on all his socials. A massive thanks to our channel champions. You guys truly are the champions of the channel. Couldn't do it without you. If you want to join them, there's a join button. You hit it there and you join. That's how that works. Or you can like and subscribe. That would be awesome as well. What other fighters had no business in the cage? Sound off in the comments. Thank you so much for watching. I will see you all on the next one.